Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everybody, this is Jim. Uh, Welcome to today's podcast. I'm glad you're here. Last week I uh, spoke about a topic. You know, when you're doing a podcast, or I guess when you're speaking on any topic that's going to be either recorded or written down, you have to put a title to it. So I decided to entitle it focus on this, this changes everything. And uh, what I did in that was I talked about the fact that as a Christian community, and I'm just talking about the Christian community here in the U.S., in the United States, I've noticed over the years that uh, people jump from topic to topic, um, sermon to sermon, maybe book to book, and they get momentary bursts of hope and insights. But then they find that, a lot of people anyway, that nothing really seems to stick or cause what you might call long-term transformation in their lives. And the, the idea of what I was talking about last week and what I want to continue with this week is that uh, what we look at in terms of with our physical eyes and with our spiritual eyes, when I say spiritual eyes, I mean what we look at from the heart, what we contemplate in the deepest depths of our being as an individual, we become consumed with. And so when we look at things which are evil, and when I mean evil, I'm just making a blanket statement. Because anything that is evil is can also be described as dark or darkness. Or um, what other examples can we put? Well, it's just darkness. Let's just leave it at that. And anything which is good can be described as light. So when we focus on things like the truth, God's word, we focus on God's works, the works of his hand, we focus on the things that are motivated by love and truth, then we become filled with light. And the light overcomes the darkness. So, But there's a, a works mentality that is hardwired into a, us as fallen people. Let me put it that way. Now, you know what the, the Bible says? It says the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And now, we look at scriptures in the Bible. Like, for example, it says in the uh, book of Romans uh, that Abraham, in chapter 4, it says, what has Abraham found? It says, for us, Abraham was justified by works. This is in chapter 4, verse number 2. This is New King James Version. He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. Okay, so think of it this way. Think of works like we would would look at the word work today. You go to work, and you work X amount of hours, and you, you do the job, and then you get rewarded based on the initial agreement. How much you're going to get paid per hour or um, how much you're going to get paid based on what you're able to produce. right? So some people get paid by what they know. Other people get paid by what they do. Uh, but there's always an agreement with somebody else, the, the payer and the payee. The payer is the person that agrees to pay the price. The payee is receiving it at the end. And so 
just about everything is done that way. If, if you do good things in this lifetime, other people will notice it and they'll reward you. And those rewards can be monetary. They can be verbal. I mean, there's different ways it can be rewarded. Likewise, if you do bad, if you do the wrong things, then you have a debt to pay. You know, when people go to jail and they spend time in jail, it doesn't make any difference how long they're there. But a judge determines how long they have to remain in jail, how long they have to pay their debt to society. And so here, you know, we're looking at this principle of grace, God's unearned favor on one side, God's love. And then on the other side, we're looking at sin and debt. So when it comes to righteousness or right standing with God, when the Bible says that somebody is a righteous man and somebody is a just man, it means one and the same thing. It means they're in right standing with God. But here it says, you know, that if you're going to work in your own strength to achieve right standing with God, those efforts are going to be counted as debt. Right? Because you can never work enough hours. You can never do enough right things to compensate for the bad things. Now, some people say that doesn't make any sense. I know I can do that. I know I can. Well, you know, God's level of righteousness is a level of perfection. Now, somebody said, well, you know, that's not fair. Why would God have a that knowing that we can't live by it? Well, originally, man was designed designed to be righteous. Man was designed to live uh, separated from evil. But we know that, you read the, the Bible, that evil entered into the world, and then everything started reproducing after its own kind. So fallen men were producing more fallen men. You know when I say men, I mean men and women, mankind. So... Um, Everything reproduces after its kind. So the Bible calls um, Adam, the one back in the garden, the first Adam. But then in the New Testament, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. And what the second Adam did is he paid the price. He paid the price of the first Adam's action and the penalty, which then was incurred from generation to generation to generation. As a matter of fact, the debt that he paid, he overpaid. Now think about think about that for a minute. Imagine overpaying. The Bible says that Jesus didn't just die for the sins of Adam. It says he died for the sins of the entire world. So now when you put look at the billions of lives and that Jesus' payment was enough to cover everybody, then sometimes you look at yourself and you say, well, what sin could I possibly commit that Jesus's uh, sacrifice wouldn't be enough to cover. Now, in, in in all of this, the idea here isn't to minimize sin, make it seem like it's unimportant, or anything like that, or that by doing the wrong things that bad things will happen to you. Everybody already knows that, right? But the, but the thing is, is that when I when I look back at my own experience, I look back at the experience of others. I look at people who don't go to church anymore. What they basically describe is the grace of God was there when they were new. The unearned favor of God was there, and it was echoed by the congregation in general. But then if they didn't change afterward, if they kept doing some of the things that were considered ungodly, then they were no longer received by that same acceptance and and that same love. Now, here's the thing. We know, all of us know that, okay, let's look at the example of the 
prodigal son. Let's just say, for example, that tonight all of us decided, you know what? We're just going to forget about God, forget about the Bible, forget about righteousness. We're just going to go out and live like the prodigal son lives. Okay? Maybe we'll just do it tonight. Maybe we'll do it for a whole month. Or maybe we'll do it for the next 12 months and see what happens. Okay, now you know when you go out there, you know that evil always has an enticement to it. There's something that seems very satisfying about following through on it. And if there is a satisfaction, the satisfaction is always momentary, isn't it? It's kind of like you hear people say about certain drugs, the first high is the best. But then after that, you're always striving to get back to that same level of high, that same satisfaction. It's not there. And you do it more and more chasing it. Yeah, de depending on who you talk to, some people call it chasing the dragon. You know, the, the first time again is magnificent as far as the natural experience goes. Brings you a level of satisfaction, even if there is darkness there. But look at it this way. If there was no satisfaction in darkness, temptation would be non-existent. There is a satisfaction, but the satisfaction wanes greatly. I mean, talk to people. You talk to people who have lived their entire lives. I, you know, recently, I remember reading about certain Hollywood stars. They were men. And they're old now. They're in their 70s or 80s or whatever. And they're alone. And they look back with regret. Because although they had these momentary pleasures, the pleasures didn't last. I would imagine that... Let's say if you're really famous, the first time that you're recognized on the street, I, I imagine it's a thrill. Or, you know, when people just falling over backwards to make you happy, I imagine it's thrilling the first time, how satisfying it is. But then after a while, I would imagine it gets kind of annoying. Because deep down in your heart, as the object of the fame, you know that that person, or those people, I should say, uh, all want something from you. Maybe it's your money. Maybe you. Maybe it's uh, the opportunity for advancement. They see all of these things, and so that you become more and more withdrawn. As a matter of fact, I remember hearing the story of Elvis Presley about how withdrawn he was, and they said that. I remember hearing one story that he wanted to go out with his friends and bowling. So basically, he had to contact the owner of the bowling alley, and I imagine he didn't do that even directly, probably had somebody do it for him, and then maybe he got on the phone, who knows, but, um, and he had to pay for the place for the entire night, close it down, so just him and his friends could go out, I, I've heard that also about movies before, when somebody really famous wanted to go to a movie, and wanted to go with some friends, how they had to shut the theater down so that just they could go in, I remember years ago, um, when uh, somebody I knew worked down in St. Armand Circle, which is near me, at the time, Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. I think it was Brad Pitt. Um, or you know what? I'm wrong. I think maybe it was Tom Cruise and the girl he was dating at the time. I can't remember her name offhand, but that's who it was. I'm sorry. Anyway, they wanted to go to this retail store. And so they called ahead. And what the store decided to do was open an hour early so just the two of them could go shopping together without being hassled so i mean think about that now imagine the first time you probably feel great but after a while you become a prisoner to your own fame you know after a while the the the, the 
photographers and the press, it all becomes annoying. After a while, you realize you're living in a glass house. After a while, you realize you're being judged a lot differently than everybody else is. And so you understand that. And so all, all sin, the pride of life, all of these things that people want, they all come with prices attached. But the price is usually never the first thing that you pay. It usually comes after that, right, most of the time. That's why it sucks you in a little more, a little more, a little more, a little more. Right, so you, you look at the thing about alcohol or drugs or anything or any type of habit, you know, you, you get to the point where you can't stop. So, you know, you hear a lot of people who become believers who come out of a situation like that. And then maybe they're not world famous. Maybe they're just normal people um, who are doing their thing. But, you know, I remember as a uh, new believer, even 32 years ago, I remember even before that as a sixth grade student hearing stories about the saints of old and praying and asking God that I could be like one of them. And I remember as a believer telling that to a friend of mine who was also a new believer at the time. He says, well, now you are. <laughs> now you are like one of them. Because the Bible says that in Christ, we're, we are considered saints. But read this. Let me read this again. I know I'm jumping around, but I'm hoping that you, you hear the part that you need to hear. You can always rewind this and listen to it again um, or jump back to the beginning, however you want to say it. Um, this is verse number five. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Him who does not work but believes on him. Who is the him? It's Jesus Christ, right? Believes on him who justifies. It's God the Father, right? Believes, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies. We talk about God. We, we're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can see them working as individuals. We see them working together. It says, they are the ones that justify the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes, blessed is the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Then it goes on, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Then there it doesn't say, Blessed is the man who has no sin, because it says the Bible has concluded that we're all under sin, Jews and the Gentiles. So it goes on to say here, Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only, or upon the uncircumcised also? For we shall say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? And then it goes on and it says, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. So when he was still a Gentile, basically, Abraham was justified by his faith. And so faith is the unearned favor, love, and blessing of God. You are highly blessed. You are highly loved. And you are highly favored. And we understand that we're on the outside looking in. It is the message that changes everything. It was the message that caused the tax collectors, the harlots, the sinners of the day, the hardened people to come out in mass and listen to Jesus. Think about that. These, these were people who grew up in a society where the law, commandments, um, the synagogue, all of these things, they already knew about the judgment of God. They already knew about the punishment of God. They had the scriptures, right? 
Now, it's funny because even if you go back and you look at these scriptures, you'll see the mercy and forgiveness of God. And somebody so I don't understand how does that work out? Is God all loving or is God a judge? Well, go do it for yourself. Go back through the book of Genesis and start to skim through it if you need to. I'm saying you have to read every single word, but skim through it. And you, one of these things, and, and look for this, look at the time element. And what you'll find is long stretches of time happen between God's warning and ultimately the judgment falling. God sent people after people after people. He turned away and didn't look upon their sins and blessed them anyway, right? Even with their hardness of heart. And, and, and that's what the Bible says in the New Testament. God loved us while we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, the Bible said Christ died for us. The godly for the ungodly. And so we're in a place now that is the total reverse of what we saw under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, when the clean touches the unclean, the clean becomes unclean in and of itself. Right? When, when, when something is whole, when something is pure and it touches something unpure, the unpureness comes off and makes the pure unpure. But under the New Testament, under a new and better covenant established upon better promises, sealed in God's own blood himself, right? When the unclean touches the clean, the unclean becomes clean. When the unrighteous touches the righteous, the unrighteous becomes righteous. When the filthy rags touches Jesus, what happens? Right? Does Jesus become unclean suddenly? No. The unclean person becomes clean. The sick person becomes whole. The lepers become whole. The blind see. Can you see that? But, you know, what I notice, though, is because there is such a works-oriented society in which you're judged by what you say, by what you do, by what you wear, by how you look, all of these things, it's infiltrated its way over here into the uh, church world. I mean, if there's any place that you can see this uh, worked out in the Bible, it's in the book of Galatians. I'm just going to turn there to the book of Galatians. In the book of Galatians, here it says that in verse number six, chapter one, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ, to the unearned favor, to the unearned blessings right? That's what grace is. I, am, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you to the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you who want to pervert the gospel of Christ, right? Pervert means to use it in a different way in which it was intended, right? That's where the word perverts come from. They're using their bodies in a different way, right? They're using sex in a different way from which it was intended. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other good news, right? The Bible, the gospel is good news, not bad news. You know, you can't get people thronging you if you preach the bad news. You know what the bad news is? The bad news is you're unrighteous. The bad news is you can never love up to God's standards. 
The bad news, I mean, we can go on and on with the bad news. That's not what the people came out to hear. The people came out to hear that God loved them because God's love wasn't just done in word, it was done in deed. Right? Blind people saw. Lame people got up and walked again. When the man was lowered down through the tiles in the ceiling in the gospel, Jesus saw him and he saw the men, that his friends that lowered him down. He said, son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Right? People are like, well, who is this? Right? He has the right to forgive because he was the one that was sinned against. <laughs> I mean, who has the right to forgive sins? It's the person who's sinned against. Right? I mean, if somebody trespasses on your property, you have the right to forgive them. Now, yeah, maybe the state might press charges, but, you know, all things being equal, you know, you might say <clears throat> the police comes out and they say, you know, do you want to press charges against this person? They broke the law. They sinned against you. They trespassed against you. And you can say, no, officer, I don't want to press charges. Right? So this is basically what Jesus is saying. This man's lowered through the roof. And you know what? I decided to forgive you. <laughs> That's unearned favor. You can't earn it. He didn't do anything to earn it. He just reached out. Think about what it says in the Bible that if you do good to an enemy, by doing so, you'll heap uh, burning coals onto his head. Right? I, think, I, I mean, it's, it's incredible that the Bible says the goodness of God leads to repentance, but we don't hear that. We hear the severity of God because people think that if they're made afraid, then they'll repent. They'll change their ways. But if that were so, the Old Testament would have been a perfect example of, of effectiveness. I mean, they literally saw the judgment of God fall on the Egyptians. Right? They saw them swallowed up by the ocean. I mean, there's, there's plenty of examples of people suffering judgment. You know, these people have short memories. Well, I guess they just thought, well, that was different. That was them. I'm different. So, I mean, when you look at this, let's go a little bit further here. It talks about a different gospel. If you read through the book, and for time's sake, I'm not going to do it, but if you read through the book of Galatians, they were trying to work their way. Yeah, they came by grace, unearned favor, but then when they, once they were in, they were trying to earn their keep, earn their stay by good works. And you see, as long as you focus on works, this is, again, we're talking about what to focus on, what to look at, because what you look at, you're consumed with. If you keep looking at yourself, if you keep micromanaging your, your works, so to speak, You'll just fall further and further down into the darkness. But if you look at Jesus Christ, if you look at God, if you look at the Word of God, and you start looking into the perfect law of liberty, you know what liberty is? Liberty is freedom. If you keep looking into that, if you keep looking at the love of God, you'll be set free. Because whatever you focus on, you'll be filled with. So you have to, have to, have to purpose to start focusing on love, God's love, God's forgiveness, God's mercy. And when you do those things and the Holy Spirit begins to shine the light of the truth in you, it's just like, you know, I live here in Florida and sometimes there's droughts. And then when the rain comes, a lot of it just washes off, you know, because the ground is so hard and so dry. 
And so it has to rain sometimes for a while, sometimes consistently, before that runoff actually begins to absorb down into the ground and to affect the roots of the different types of plants and trees and other things that are growing until the, and, and the life starts to come back in, in the landscape around us. I mean, I remember times it was just seemed like everything was dying and everything was drying up, even last year before the hurricanes hit. And, and you know, and you look at yourself in that way, you know, if you're looking at your, in the darkness, if you're looking at sin, if you're always thinking about how weak you are instead of how strong Jesus is, if you're always looking at your own works instead of the fact that the Bible says you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, if you keep on thinking about your own faults instead of the scriptures which says, as he is, so are we in this world, when you start to look at all of the things instead of seeing what the Bible says through the eyes of faith, seeing yourself in Christ, seeing yourself forgiven, seeing yourself righteous, you're becoming filled with whatever you're thinking about the most. Your life is reflecting it. So, just like Moses setting the serpent up on the pole and saying, whoever looks steadfastly on this will be healed. If you want to receive God's power into your life to set you free in, in every way imaginable, then it's going to be determined by what you decide to look at. You know, a lot of people, they look at the news, they look at social media, and then they look at the Bible for five minutes to try and recover from it and wonder why it doesn't seem to work in a practical sense. Now, we're not talking about time here necessarily in the, in the context of works. Because when you tell somebody to do something, they get a work-related mentality. Oh, I can do that. You know, I can climb the mountain. But it's not that work in itself in this, insofar as what it is with the heart. It's, this is a heartfelt type of situation that each and every one of us are in. It, it really is. You know, I, I look back at uh, the younger me from 30 years ago, and I, I judged myself based on my outward accomplishments. I looked at my value based on what I'd done, what I was doing. I also looked at my lack of value based on what I hadn't done or what I wasn't doing. And so I was always playing catch up. Now, if you asked me about that, I, it wasn't something that I was doing on a conscious level. It was just beneath the consciousness it was the things that I thought about when nobody else was around, when I was in that place of stillness and quiet. That's when I began to look at myself and I began to judge myself based on my own works. You know, and you, and you think, you know, if I was really, really walking with God, this would be different. And so I looked at my works and I tried to make some adjustments. And, and that that's when you're stuck. That's when you're back to... Everything you do is just more, you're just creating more debt for yourself. But when I realized at a heart level, and it takes God to do this, and he's willing to do this, it's all part of the grace of God that, you know, and I can never be more of a son to God than I am right now. He made me. He called me. I didn't call him. He loved me before I loved him. That's what the Bible says. It says he knew us from the foundations of the earth. So however I got here, the only person I can give credit to is him. You know, the, the original apostles, after they were filled with the Holy Ghost, and they healed the man at the beautiful gate, everybody marveled and they said, why do you look at us as though by our own power or holiness we made this man walk? We're, we're men of, of, of like passions. Think about that. 
think about the book of Romans, chapter 7, where Paul talks about all of his struggles. And then goes on to say, in the flesh, all of his struggles. Then goes on to say that, but in Christ Jesus, he's forgiven and he's free. Think about James, the brother of Jesus, most likely the author of the book of James, who made the statement, Elijah was a man with like passions, just like us. Right? And that's after the cross. That's after the filling of the Holy Spirit. He's still identifying as a man of like passions with somebody who lived under the Old Testament, who didn't have the Spirit like we have today, who didn't have Jesus Christ like we do today. Right? Look, look, at the, look at the books of John. You know, where on one side it appears like it's saying anybody who sins of the devil, but in the context, if you read it closely in the whole thing, not taking it out of context, which people are prone to do, right? But if you don't take it out of context, it says people that practice sin are like people that practice painting or people that practice track and field or people that practice bowling. They're always practicing, getting better and stronger and more proficient at it. When people who, who look at sin like that, right, people who practice it, practice unrighteousness, make a career in unrighteousness, right, Th those people aren't of God. But yet it says that if we say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And he included himself in that. The disciple that Jesus loved said, if we, meaning himself included, say we have no sin, the truth is not in us. And we're still in darkness. So we all recognize that we have sin in our lives. Right? So what do you call it? Sin or weakness or unrighteousness? Whatever label you want to put on it. Right? The only way to get free from it is not by just looking at it. It's by looking at Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said, the Bible says, uh, sin will not have dominion over you because you are no longer under the law. Sin will not have dominion over you. You say, well, yeah, I know it says that, but in my life, I still struggle with, and you fill in the blank. Or for some time, I still, or on occasion, I still. Well, that's part of the reason is because you're in a body. But as far as it having dominion over you and having a hook and you being enslaved to it, the way to practically get free from that isn't just, you know, praying once or twice and then you know we we'll see what happens by looking at keep looking at Jesus is what I'm telling you you can't work your way out of these struggles you can't look at prayer even as a work and and pray your way out the object of prayer is so that you see Jesus instead of the problem instead of you see power so you see power instead of weakness and so you see love instead of judgment right it's the goodness of God, the Bible says, that leads to repentance and to changing your way of thinking. It's the reason, you know, God's not doesn't love you any less. God will never love you any less because the Bible says what can separate us from the love of God, and it gives like a whole list of things. Matter of fact, it includes everything. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Now, it's funny because when you tell people that, and you show people all of these scriptures, inadvertently they'll go to one or two scriptures and say, what of this? What, what about this? And when they're doing it, you know what they're doing? They're basically saying that that one scripture makes them a special case, that that one scripture supersedes all of those other scriptures and applies in their case, right? 
And again, it's what you look at. That's what will consume you. If they look at that, they'll be consumed by that. I know people that will be consumed by Ananias and Sapphira's story. They'll see all of the places in the, in the New Testament where people are forgiven, where people are restored and healed, but then they'll see that one story and that's where they'll set up their tent. Well, what if I'm like Ananias and Sapphira? You know, that God's judgment is on me. Well, first of all, who even said that Ananias and Sapphira were believers to begin with? It says they were in the camp. That's all. Doesn't say they worship Jesus. Doesn't say they glorify God. It just says that they were there and they brought money to the the uh, disciples. Do you think everybody in that camp was a believer? I mean, don't you think there were some spies maybe from the temple that were there? Right. I mean, you could see how darkness infiltrated the early church. Just read the just read the epistles and you'll see it. Right. I, I doubt that Ananias and Sapphira were, had Jesus in their heart ever, right? Now, again, we, we don't know. We don't know. But isn't it funny that people who have that, that negative darkness mindset, they will always latch on to a judgment scripture, apply it to themselves, apply it to the people around them, maybe apply it to everyone, and it supersedes all of those other scriptures, and there's almost no way you can talk them out of it because that's what they want to believe. And the reason why they want to believe that is because it confirms their works-oriented mindset and heartfelt beliefs. So today, you have a choice. You can embrace that mentality, that works, that you're always going to be playing catch-up that you're always going to be at a deficit, that you're always going to owe more and more. Or you can believe what the Bible says, that he who has believed has ceased from his works. He who has believed has entered into rest. And that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, both the ones that we commit and the ones that we will commit in the future. You can choose to believe that nothing will separate you from the love of God, you can choose to believe that sin shall not have dominion over you. You, shall, you can choose to believe that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Or you can choose to believe that, and you can choose to believe that it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. You can choose to believe those things. Or you can choose to focus on other things that make those things seem and feel a thousand miles away. Like they were never even written. Can you see the difference? That's why Jesus, when he came, he didn't come and say, I am the way, the truth, the life. Now get out a pen and paper, and I'm going to map out the way for you. Okay, step number one, I want you to go all the way to the end of the block. Then turn north on Spruce Street. Then head down Spruce Street straight for three miles. You know how the Google Maps and stuff like that works? You know how the apps on your phone work or how you get directions online today? Now, Jesus didn't say anything like that. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the way, he said. Right? Are you looking for forgiveness? Jesus is your forgiveness. He is your righteousness. Are you looking for healing? Jesus is your healing. Wherefore is it easier to say, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee or rise up? Take up your bed and walk. 
the prayer of faith and faith that works by love, right? Faith works by love. If you believe that God loves you unconditionally, how much easier is it for you to have faith in his promises? Think about that for a minute. If you believe that God loves you and, and that God is just like Jesus, Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. How can you, if you believe that God loves you unconditionally and Jesus loves you unconditionally, the Holy Spirit loves you, then how can you not have confidence in scriptures that say, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find, knock and the door will be open. For everyone that asketh receiveth, he that seeketh findeth, and him who knocketh may it shall be open. Jesus said to his disciples before he left, whatever you say, ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Asking you shall receive that your joy may be full. Right? All of these exceeding and precious promises that have been given to us. Okay, that's all I have for you today. I hope that you will ask God to help you in your own life to start to see the light instead of the darkness, to start seeing the blessing instead of the cursing, to start seeing the righteousness in Christ instead of the unrighteousness in your works, and that you will start to move from faith to faith, and from glory to glory in your everyday experience. It does work. I know it. I know it works. And I know what it's like to forget about this and to go back and get into a rut and just let things be the way they were. I know the difference. And I believe that God is using me to help you make a, make a U-turn in some situations as you relate to him in certain areas of your life and in certain situations. He's doing it for me. I'm just sharing with you what he's sharing with me because we all need this. Nobody is exempt. That's all for today. Thank you for listening. I will see you again next week. God bless you.